Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Simon Burton from Numero. And I'm Matthew Liebman from Movio. G'day, Matt. How are you going this week? Yeah, another week in the office, another week in New Zealand. No chance of getting on planes to meet you up in Vegas next week for CinemaCon. Yeah, looking forward to it, heading out there. What have we got lined up for this week? Hey, today you and I are going to have a chat to Mark Allenby. He's the CEO of Trafalgar Releasing, one of the global leaders in event cinema, producing, acquiring and distributing specialised content to over 4,000 cinemas in over 100 countries around the world. But before we get to Mark, we have a few movies to look at. So why don't you kick us off with the numbers? Oh, that'd be a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. This week, let's look at Free Guy, the number one film opening in the domestic market. A really terrific result, 28.4 million US dollars in the domestic market, which contributed to a 51 million US dollars global launch, which included another 41 markets internationally. If we look at those like-for-like international markets with a recently released film, Jungle Cruise, Free Guy results were nearly 20% ahead of the Jungle Cruise results. So guys at Disney, I'd suggest to be pretty happy with that debut for Free Guy. I see that there's already a, a sequel in the works. I haven't actually seen the film myself yet, but keen to get out and, and have a look. Lots of fun. I'd recommend it for you and the kids. Okay. We'll, we'll certainly get out there based on the, the Liebman tip. Matt, why don't you share what the domestic audience looked like? Yeah, looking at the opening weekend, Simon, the movies that had the greatest audience overlap were dominated by recent releases. So you had The Suicide Squad, Snake Eyes, Jungle Cruise, and The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. And, you know, that kind of makes me wonder if original stories like Free Guy, as opposed to franchises or existing properties, benefit from the trailering they would have received before those other titles and drove people back in just through the repetition. Other titles in the top eight included Deadpool 2, so that reflects Ryan Reynolds pulling power, even when he's in a very different style of movie. Ready Player One came in, as did Star Wars and Birds of Prey. The age splits for the movie are what we would typically see amongst all opening weekend films, especially big ones. There was a little bit of outperformance amongst the 18 to 34s. But for me, the biggest surprise was in the gender splits. So when we look at opening weekend audiences, they're typically about 57% male and Free Guy stands at 63%. I thought it might've been a bit more balanced. So in that women want to date him, men want to have a beer with him stakes, looks like beer definitely wins out for Ryan Reynolds in this particular film. But I do think that there is an opportunity for marketers to find moviegoers of all genders who have a propensity to see the film based on the comps that we mentioned up front and then come up with a particular creative for the female audience that might not have come in the same ratios we would have expected. That might be able to drive beyond the opening weekend and build a bit of a long tail for Free Guy. How about Don't Breathe? Um, that came in number two. What did you see for the numbers on that one? You're right. The sequel for Don't Breathe, originally titled Don't Breathe 2, did $10.6 million in the domestic market over the weekend. Again, slightly ahead of expectations, not going day and date on any streaming platforms and a good result for Sony. What about some more details on what the audience looked like, Matt? Yeah, look, in terms of overlap, what you'd expect, things like Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, Forever Purge, Old... Invisible Man, Ma and Us. Uh, the original Don't Breathe came in at number five. Not a lot to add in terms of the demographic, except for one point. For the opening weekend audience of the original title, 46% was aged under 25 years. It was only 31% aged under 25 for this sequel. And while that was traded off for most of the other age brackets, the biggest jump was those aged 55 plus. 
and it doubled or more than doubled from 8% for the first installment up to 18% for the second. So there definitely seems to have been a swing towards the lead character, Stephen Lang, and the whole get off my lawn crowd between films one and two there. The other release of the, the week, did we get any respect this week, Simon? Yeah, open at the domestic box office on the weekend for $8.8 million. How about some insight on the audience that got out there this weekend? The audience overlap was pretty culturally specific. So when we look at the titles, and I'll give them in a sec, they range from biopics to action films to comedies. But the one thing they had in common is that they were stories that focused on black characters and black people. So you had Harriet, The Photograph, Just Mercy, Tyler Perry's Acrimony, Fences, Nobody's Fool, Get On Up and Proud Mary. And I thought that it might be a little bit more diverse given the near universal appeal of Aretha Franklin. The other one though, is that this audience skewed very old and very female. So women aged 55 plus comprise more than one third of the opening weekend audience. And they typically represent just 9% for an opening weekend film across all sorts of titles. So that's a four times outperform. And even the male audience, 55 plus outperformed, they were almost a quarter of the opening weekend audience. They're usually less than half that. So maybe there's some opportunity here, though, when you look at the Rotten Tomatoes critics score, which is an okay 64%, but the verified audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 94%. The opportunity may be for marketers to drive audiences beyond this weekend by pushing a real crowd-pleasing element and going beyond the core age group and hopefully driving some, some positive word of mouth out there in the campaign as well. Thanks, Matt. That's really interesting. I think if we look at the, the audience demographics there for Free Guy and for Respect, we can see people from all different age groups returning to the cinemas. Yeah, you raise a really good point, Simon, especially on Respect, where the infrequent cinema goers was significantly larger than I've seen for many recent films. So Aretha Franklin is responsible for pulling people out of the house and back into the cinemas in really large numbers. And that diversity of, of content is no doubt one of the reasons we're seeing that, both for Respect, but as you also said, for Free Guy too. That's wonderful. Let's just hope the total audience grows in the in the coming weeks. I was getting caught with Tina Turner with that title of respect and the fact that Ike didn't show her much of that throughout their, their marriage. Yeah, and love love didn't have a lot to do with it either. And can you have love without respect? I think that's the other thing to ask. Yeah, that, that's quite a probing question there, Matthew. We're trying to go deeper. Maybe we should add that to our list of questions for today's guest, Mark Allenby, the CEO of Trafalgar Releasing, and we'll jump over to that interview right now. Our guest today is Mark Allenby, CEO of Trafalgar Releasing. Over the past two decades, Mark's done it all in the cinema industry, starting as an usher at Picture House Cinemas whilst at uni, then at a venue management upon graduation before moving into Picture House's head office. It's here that Mark became one of the true pioneers of event cinema, making Picture House Entertainment a key part of Picture House's overall programming strategy, helping to bring the Met Opera and Bolshoi Ballet to the UK and launching NT Live and RSC Live. In 2017, Mark helped facilitate the management buyout of Picture House Entertainment, renaming it Trafalgar Releasing, a part of the Trafalgar Entertainment Group. And Mark's been its CEO for almost five years now. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Great to have you with us today, Mark. There's certainly a lot of speculation out there in the industry. What personally gives you confidence in cinema, more specifically event cinema? I think it's probably the same answer on both broadly. I mean, I think there's been an industry change generally towards a greater experience, a greater customer experience or audience experience at a cinema level. You look at luxury seating, quality of screen, quality of audio and diversity of programming being kind of key indicators around that. 
alongside also you know the food and beverage offering and just having a more mature deeper experience and i say that i think that applies to film and film is our ecosystem but it specifically applies to event cinema and the behavior and the actions of the event cinema audience are, are very similar to the film world but they're kind of heightened and i think from that perspective both film and event cinema have a bright future in in the cinema marketplace there's challenges that lie ahead and there's challenges that remain and then some of those predate covid some of those are new to the pandemic world but they're all within that same framework of people want to come together they want to have the best quality experience they want a degree of a communal experience and and they want to enjoy things with like-minded people and that applies across the board within the industry so um, Mark, what trends or differences are you noticing as exhibition recovers as it relates to your business and what do you predict going forward especially for event cinema yeah it's, it's an interesting question and, and in some ways i think it's too early to know the answer you know we, we're seeing some trends within the market change but even you know, from my personal or specific viewpoint last summer when cinemas came out of the first round of lockdowns to this summer we're seeing behavioural difference. And, and I think part of that is back in the summer of 2020, there was a degree of defiance. People wanted to prove they weren't going to let the pandemic change their behaviour, albeit in a sensible and kind of <laughs> controlled manner. But you know, they wanted to go back to the cinema because they wanted to return to what they do. That, I think, was borne out by some of the box office results of theatrical film and, and of event cinema. It was a statement. I think it's probably a little bit more caution and it's a bit, a bit more selective in what they're coming out for and why. I think partly that might also be because there's wider choice now in terms of concerts are returning, which weren't returning last season. Theatre is back, which it wasn't really this time last summer and so on. So, and to weave that back to event cinema specifically, I think that applies because the audience, if we're looking at diehard fans, looking at the audience who really want to come out after certain material, they probably have a little bit more choice than they had before. Now, where that ends, we don't quite know in terms of what trends will stick and which ones are just reactionary to it being summer and it being the first release from lockdown in 2021. We are still seeing people want to plan ahead, which they did pre-pandemic and they continue to now. Uh, we're seeing people ultimately w- are willing to pay for the experiences they want to purchase. And event cinema has always seen that as an important part of what it does. But equally, I think there is probably slightly more selective thinking by the audience. But that's something which has always been there as well. It's maybe just a little bit more heightened at the moment. Taking a, a slightly different angle, I was looking on your website as part of preparing for, for talking to you today. And I noticed one of the headlines that you have there is that you bring fans together in cinema. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the word fans there, because it seems to intentionally suggest something different from a cinema goer. Is that right? And what does it look like? Yeah, I think I think there is a difference. I mean, equally, film fans <laughs> do go to the cinema. So, so it, what is fandom? But I suppose what we look at is existing audiences, clearly identified pre-existing audience base. And they can exist in the real world, they can exist online, but they're normally identified and and clearly identifiable from a marketing perspective and from a kind of profile perspective. I think with film fans, that's true, broadly speaking, but then a film campaign would look at uh, general awareness, whereas our campaigns would be very targeted on that audience base and how you convert them to a cinema. I think also, though, we, we create demand through scarcity. 
and that that's a key component of event cinema the the one night or one two three night engagements are all about channeling audiences to a critical moment or moments whereas film would typically run across multiple weeks or multiple shows and so that's kind of a difference as well and that's why identifying those fanatical fans those who are really willing to engage who kind of consume or, or want to be part of every or most engagements that the artist or the theatre producers or the opera house are doing is a crucial part of our reasoning. And I think that that's really what we're referring to on the website in that instance. Yeah, that makes sense. And then taking that in terms of consumer behaviour, are you seeing that when somebody comes to event cinema, they do things differently, maybe in terms of when they book, how they book, even food and beverage spend, you might have gotten anecdotal feedback on versus when maybe the same person's going to a traditional Hollywood style movie. Yeah, I mean, so, so absolutely. I mean, and, and all of those points, event cinema delivers either sales earlier, higher food and beverage, spend per heads and so on. I think, though, really the way to understand it is you're looking at that point that that fan, that audience member is replicating the experience they would have at the live venue or when interacting with the brand in question at an earlier stage. And so from that point of view, people book a year in advance to go to the Royal Opera House. They would do the same within reason to go to see the Royal Opera House in cinema, the same with concert tickets and so on. And so you're just getting that kind of fanaticism or that must-see element of the behaviour. It is slightly reduced and, and then there's other challenges around uh, you know, the certainty in the market at the moment or the uncertainty in the market at the moment, but you definitely still see that that trend and that behaviour act out. Now, those same people may well return to the cinema uh, to watch a reg regular film, but that is probably going to be more of a, a spur of the moment or kind of a decision made in the last 48 hours. But in part, I think that's because there's four shows a day, seven days a week as, as that option. And Mark, having worked in traditional exhibition, have you got any tips for what exhibitors can do to maximise the chances of success for event cinema? Well, I think doing the simple things well is always a starting point. I mean, none of this is rocket science, whether it's distribution or exhibition, but just having a clear understanding of, of the audience you're trying to attract, investing in communications with them, whether that's kind of digital or in person, creating an environment that fits and suits them rather than necessarily having to conform to the environment you, you, you have. And then just being in, innovative and, and, and kind of friendly and exciting. And whether that's just, you know, themed drinks or, you know, popcorn and sweet bundles, which kind of makes sense in, in the context of, of, of the film. But I think it's not about necessarily having to do lots of really diverse creative things, but just giving it the focus and the attention, working with the distributor, working with uh, other partners to kind of maximise. You know, one of the things we look for is, getting on sale early, kind of giving advanced sale reporting, all these kind of things which allow everybody to have sight of what, how the campaign's running and then adapt and, and um, you know, modify based on that feedback. And, and I suppose it's those simple things which, if done well, work really well. Again, I mean, cinemas have great data. They have great opportunities to market and advertise. And seeing it as a partnership and how that can work together is, is also a crucial factor. Yeah, Mark, you talk about that data, and I guess in a lot of ways for event cinema, success or failure comes down to a couple of showtimes in a single week more often than not. When you have more than one showtime, are you able to take advantage of data and learnings and pivot or remarket between the showtimes to maximise the audience at the second time round? It's harder to do it within one campaign. Typically, the showtimes or dates are 
48 hours apart or, or something like that. And often the data back to us isn't detailed enough to, to, to allow us to, to really probe. What I think we are getting good at is understanding the trends and understanding behaviourally. You know, so we see an advantage of going on sale with two shows rather than one off the bat. So, so I suppose it's trying to get the strategy right at the beginning rather than trying to retrofit it when often it's harder to, to make that work. But there's kind of there's detail and there's pros and cons with, with all of those approaches. I suppose what we look at really is what are we seeing in the market? How are exhibitors, uh, specific exhibitors working? And, and certain exhibitors have certain profiles of audience, which mean that second show may always be stronger than the first. But they're, they're the kind of things we can look at when we're planning and work with exhibition to achieve. But, but it's, un, it's unusual to be able to alternate things that dramatically. I suppose the only time when, when it does work out is, is, again, if you're seeing really strong sales, you know, it's a no-brainer to, to expand and, and add more. And, and that, that's the one thing where good communication, good relationships are, are a crucial part of that between exhibition and distribution. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And look, when I was looking at your bio, again, in prep for this, there was a sentence that jumped out and it said, I think these were your words, when you moved to head office, I was also intrigued by the business side of things. One I quickly discovered was full of dysfunction and legacy practices whilst being at the forefront of technology. I was hoping you might be able to elaborate on the dysfunction and, and legacy practices, but also some of the ways you've helped to overcome them now that you're CEO at Trafalgar. Well, I think to my shame, I'm not sure I could claim to have overcome anything or, or contributed too too positively. Um, I, I think, well, I think I, I don't think I'll be speaking out of turn to say, you know, cinema went digital was 20 years ago. Yet the practices, you know, the the Monday holdover, the seven day bookings for a lack of flexibility and dynamism, I guess, within the industry is still operating in the kind of analog celluloid world but yet was digital and you know working back in the day on 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 screen advertising for picture house you know ads were still served on a weekly basis rather than served against individual shows and i think it's those kind of points where now credit to the industry it has i think addressed the majority of those points you know relatively well and and continues to improve and, and kind of use technology but but certainly going back 15 or so years that that wasn't the case and and there was very much a kind of we might be digital in name but in name only you know it, it wasn't happening anywhere else that's really where that sentiment comes from brilliant uh moving on to the some of the, the fun upcoming projects you've got, Mark. Are there a few of those that you could share with that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we just had a great result with uh, Blackpink, which is continuing to roll out, but but really pleased with that um, across the US and, and Europe, most of Southeast Asia to follow uh, in September. Really excited about the Russian, the Oasis uh, films we've got coming out in September too. We've also invested quite heavily in... Um, uh, a V&A exhibition on Alice in Wonderland, Curious and Curiouser, which is a really interesting project. We've worked with a V&A before, uh, Victorian Albert Museum, for those who don't know, um, it, it, with David Bowie. And, and they do these big headline exhibitions, which really capture the nation's imagination here in the UK and, and travel and tour globally as an exhibition. So to be producing and distributing a film uh, about that is, is really exciting for Trafalgar. And that, that's you know, a long-term relationship and a long-term project. Um, and then, you know, one of the things we've been, uh, w- w- what's been missing from my perspective from the industry as a whole is, is these, you know, the, the stable of event cinema with the Royal Opera House, the Metropolitan Opera, the Bolshoi and so on. Um, and really looking forward to welcoming them back into cinemas. There's a long journey, I think, there, but, but it's really exciting and, and, you know, the seasons look really strong and they'll be coming back um, across 
kind of quarter four of, of, of this year and, and, you know, building out from there. So, so it's, it's really good. Um, and then there's a lot of projects I can't talk about, unfortunately, on this call, but there, there's great things which will be announced over the coming weeks. But um, again, I mean, I think for a period where cinema was closed and it was hard to see where the product might come from, things are feeling much more positive and both, um, well, the, the, the industry outside of cinema, which we rely on in terms of opera, ballet, theatre and, and music, are really re-engaged and see the opportunity that cinema brings. And, and that's really encouraging for all of us. Yeah, that sounds like a, a really strong lineup. Best of luck. I hope they're all extremely successful for you. And thank you so much for your time today, Mark, delving deeper into event cinema um, and some of the, uh, the upcoming successes that we can expect over the, the coming months. So, Matt, moving on to next week, what have we got in store for the show? Yeah, we'll take a look at the audience's numbers for next week's new releases, led by Reminiscence and Paw Patrol the Movie. And I'm going to try and catch you running between meetings and presentations at CinemaCon, so don't forget to pack your masks and your vaccination passport for CinemaCon Delta Edition. Uh, once again, thanks to Mark Allenby, and thanks to you, Simon, and to everyone else for listening this week. We'll catch you next week on Behind the Screens. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more MovieGoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced and edited by Grace Furness. Additional support from Patrick Hanna, Ryan Preventure, Georgia Culverwell and Christine Rizzolo.